We're in Second Kings chapter 12. We're also going to be over in Chronicles because we get a different part of the life of Jehoash. We even get a different name over in Chronicles. It just... Yeah, I've heard people... Have you ever heard the comparison between Kings and Chronicles? One person puts it this way, that Kings is man's view of the Kings and Chronicles is God's view. Um... I'm not positive about that. I do see what they used to base it for, and I looked at some of the stuff, but I can also see some things that tilt the scales a little bit the other direction, too. So, um, not quite sure. about. I think one of the things they... It's been a while since I heard this argument, but I think one of the things they used for that was that David's sin of Bathsheba was not included, I think, in Chronicles, but it was included in Kings or something along those lines. Um, I don't remember... Exactly, but uh, I did see some other stuff. Well, the sins here are included, and so I'm not so sure about that. But anyway, you do get a different uh, rendition sometimes. There's a few places where it's almost verbatim. But uh, here we're going to see some differences, so we're going to go back over to Chronicles as well. Let's start reading in verse 1. In the seventh year of Jehu, Jehoash became king, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. That is a long time. His mother's name was Zebiah of Beersheba. Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days in which Jehoiada the priest instructed him. But the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. And Jehoash said to the priest, All the money of the dedicated gifts that are brought into the house of the Lord, each man's census money, each man's assessment money, and all the money that a man purposes in his heart, to bring into the house of the Lord. <clears throat> let the priests take it themselves, each from his constituency, and let them repair <coughs> excuse me, the damages of the temple wherever any dilapidation is found. Excuse me. I can't see the P. Now it was so by the third, 23rd year of King Joash that the priests had not repaired the damages of the temple. So the king, Joash, called Jehoiada the priest and all the other priests and said to them, Why have you not repaired the damages of the temple? Now therefore do not take more money from your constituency, but deliver it for repairing the damages of the temple. And the priest agreed. They would neither receive money from the people nor repair the damages of the, nor repair the, damages of the temple. Then Jehoiada the priest took a chest, bored a hole in its lid, and set it up beside the altar on the right side as one comes into the house of the Lord. Priest kept the door put there, all the money brought into the house of the Lord, so it was. Okay, why would you just skip around here on me? So it was whenever they saw that there was much money in the chest that the king's scribe and high priest came up and put it in, in bags and counted the money that was found in the house of the Lord. Then they gave the money which had been apportioned into the hands of those who did the work, did the oversight of the house of the Lord, and they paid it out to the carpenters, builders who worked on the house of the Lord and to masons and stonecutters and for buying timber and hewn stone to repair the damage of the house of the Lord and for all that was paid out to repair the temple. However, they were not made for the, they were not made for the house of the Lord basins of silver, trimmers, sprinkling bowls, trumpets, any articles of gold or articles of silver from the money brought into the house of the Lord. But they gave that to the workmen and they repaired the house of the Lord with it. Moreover, they did not require an account from the men into whose hand they delivered the money to be paid to workmen, for they dealt faithfully. The money from the trespass offerings and the money from the sin offerings was not brought into the house of the Lord. It belonged to the priest. Hazael, king of Syria, went and fought against Gath and took it. And then Hazael set his face to go to Jerusalem. 
And Jehoash, king of Judah, took all the sacred things that his father Jehoshaphat and Jehoram and Ahaziah, kings of Judah, had dedicated in his own sacred things and all the gold found in the treasuries of the house of the Lord and in the king's house and sent them to Hazael, king of Syria. Then he went away from Jerusalem. Now the rest of the acts of Joash, there he gets his uh, chronicles name, and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? And his servants arose and formed a conspiracy and killed Joash in the house of Milo, which goes down to Selah. <clears throat> from Jezekar, the son of Shemaeth, and Jehoshabed, the son of Shomer, his servants struck him, so he died, and they buried him with his fathers in the city of David. Then Amaziah, his son, reigned in his place. Now, there's a whole lot of stuff about money. Some of it does sound a little bit confusing, but basically it was this way. They were collecting money. Not a whole lot was being done. They kind of said, let's get this stuff done. Some money was being used over in this purpose. Some money was being used over in this purpose, and they, uh, they got the things done. Because the queen who was before this took all the stuff out of the temple. So they had to be replenishing some of the things that were there. But let's go over to Chronicles and see this, because in this particular story, we're missing a whole lot. We go from a good reign to basically where he just, bad things begin to happen. We're not really given any indication as to why. Just all of a sudden, Syria is now coming down upon him, and he goes into the house of the Lord and takes all the stuff out that he put in there, and some of the, that his fathers had put in there, and uh, uses that to bribe him and send him off. So, verse 1 of Second Chronicles 24. Joash was seven years old when he became king, and he reigns 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zebiah of Beersheba. Now, Joash, you know, it's probably like Steve or Stephen. It's, it's, it's not the different name, but it, it just it looks different, of course, to us. But to them, it, it was uh, the same name, just a shortened version of it. Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. And Jehoiada took two wives for him, and he had sons and daughters. How many wives should he have taken? Yeah. But, of course, he stopped at two. I guess that was, uh, that was one good thing. Now, it happened after this that Joash set his heart on repairing the house of the Lord. Now, after this, is that after he had two wives? We don't know. It doesn't seem that he started to repair the house of the Lord at age seven when he took over the the throne, because it's that uh, age when he's been reigning 23 years that uh, he says, you know, we need to get working on this, and that seems like an awful long time for him to have waited. So somewhere along the process of time, he began to decide that we need to fix the house of the Lord. Then he gathered the priests and the Levites and said to them, go out to the cities of Judah and gather from all Israel money to repair the house of your God from year to year and see that you do it quickly. However, the Levites did not do it quickly. So the king called Jehoiada, the chief priest, and said to him, Why have you not required the Levites to bring in from Judah and from Jerusalem the collection, according to the commandment of the Moses, the servant of the Lord of the assembly of Israel, for the tabernacle of witness? For the sons of Athaliah, that, that wicked woman, had broken into the house of God and had also presented all the dedicated things of the house of the Lord to the Baals. Then at the king's command, they made a chest and set it outside the gate of the house of the Lord. And they made a proclamation throughout Judah and Jerusalem to bring to the Lord the collection that Moses, the servant of God, had imposed on Israel in the wilderness. So if you read it this way, it sounds like they were supposed to go out and collect it and they weren't going out and collecting it. So this way he made the box. Instead of you going out and collecting it, it's how the people bring it here. Then all the leaders and all the people rejoiced, brought their contributions and put them in the chest until all had given. 
So it was at that time when the chest was brought to the king's official by the hand of Levites, and when they saw there was much money, that the king's scribe and high priest officer came and emptied the chest, took it and returned it to its place. This they did day by day and gathered money in abundance. The king and Jehoiada gave it to those who did the work of the service of the house of the Lord, and they hired masons and carpenters to repair the house of the Lord, and also those who worked in iron and bronze to restore the house of the Lord. So the workmen labored, and the work was completed. By them they restored the house of God to its original condition and reinforced it. When they had finished, they brought the rest of the money before the king and Jehoiada. They made from it articles of the house of the Lord, articles for serving and offerings, spoons, vessels, gold, silver. They offered burnt offerings in the house of the Lord continually all the days of Jehoiada. But Jehoiada grew old and was full of days and he died and he was 130 years old when he died. They buried him in the city of David among the kings because he had done good in Israel both toward God and his house. So all the days of Jehoiada the priest, of course, Joash follows God, does the things that are supposed to do. The people follow God. Everything is good. Things are, are growing. In John chapter 8, verse 31, it's, Then Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and, if, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If we're going to be his disciples, we need to abide in his word, which means you need to stay there. Staying there for 20 years, however long it was that he stayed there in God's word was great, but it wasn't enough. If he, was, if he reigned 40 years and he was 7 years old, that puts him at 47 years old. If he lived to the age of 47, he should be abiding in the word 47 years. And he did not. And I put these things in your, in your outline. These are probably not new to you, but pride keeps us from receiving and God from giving. This man was not in the area of pride in the beginning of his life and he was able to freely receive from God. And God was able to continually give to him. But soon he is going to, soon after the death of Jehoiada, he is going to move over into the area of pride and he becomes resistant to the things of God. Pride keeps us from making corrections. How many times have you seen a good employee go bad? Or someone who was following the right way go into a wrong way? I don't know how many times people have said to me, you know, Pastor, if you see me going off in the wrong way, tell me. And as soon as they start going off in the wrong way, you tell them. And guess what? <laughs> what? What are you doing telling me stuff like that? Because as long as they are humble, you can speak to them all you want. And they'll receive it. As soon as they get prideful, now suddenly it gets turned off. I've seen this time and time again with folks. And once they get to that spot, you know, sometimes they've even left the church. They've gone you know, to another church or they've just left God altogether. And at that point, you kind of got to just say, you know what? We loved having you when you were following after God, but it has been a problem. Because people who have pride issues just make it a mess for everybody else. And you just, uh, I'll tell you what, it's, it's tough because you can't correct them because everything you do to try and correct them, they come right back at you. And, well, you know, how dare you do this? And pride keeps us from making corrections. If we can't make corrections, thereby... We get off course. You will get off course if you cannot make corrections. You know, getting here this morning or this evening, as you're coming on down to church, how many times did you make corrections in the direction your car was going? You can't just pull out and go straight. <clears throat> you got you to gotta make turns along the way. Even if you were on a straightaway road, you still have to keep making corrections to that car. A little bit this way, a little bit that way. It just constantly needs corrections. 
And as long as you just keep doing a little bit of corrections, you can keep things going real, real well. As soon as you don't, you stop making corrections, now all of a sudden a little bit off here becomes a whole lot more as you go on down the road. Pride keeps you from making corrections. The devil loves this. If he can get you in pride, you won't make corrections. You'll get off the plan of God. And that's all he wants us to do. But he did right when in sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. So, does that mean that what he did was not genuine or sincere? You know, the folks who believe once saved, always saved, they frustrate me to no end on this, this argument. Because if a person falls off and they aren't following after God anymore, out of their mouth, I know this because I went to a Baptist college. I know the professors, I know what they said, I know what the students said who were, who were in, uh, entrenched in Baptist theology all the years, Calvinism as it's called, once saved, always saved. Or, uh, you know, you get into the Arminianist view where you, you can be saved today and not saved tomorrow and then saved again and they just go back and forth on the, on the whole thing. But the once saved, always saved crowd, if they see somebody who fell off and it's obviously they're not going in a direction, they will say they were never saved to begin with. Now, that's ridiculous. If a person is following after God and their heart is humble before God, they are saved. But that heart gets hard to God. God then resists them. It would have been better if they would have died sooner. And for some people, that's the way that it is. Mr. Uh, Mr. Rooker, uh, <clears throat> Kenneth Hagin's father-in-law, he was, he was dying. And he's in the hospital. And he's, uh, he prayed all of his relatives out of death. He was going to pray him out of death too. And he's uh, contending for that. And he brought us to the scripture that says, let us contend together. He says, it's not always us contending to God. Sometimes God contends with us. And so he's ready to pray him out of this uh, death situation that he's in. And so he says, uh, you know, he, he starts praying through the scriptures the way he normally does. And God says, hold on a minute, hold on a minute. I said, he is more ready now to come home than he ever has been in his entire life. He said, let him come home. And so Brother Hagin said, okay, on one condition. <laughs> he says, I'll let him come home as long as you let him come out of his coma and give a good testimony to his family. And so they were all gathered around. <clears throat> and for no explainable reason, he came out of his coma, sat up, talked to each of the persons in the family, addressed each one. And then after he addressed each one, right back into the coma. He was, he was out again. And he didn't come back out of the coma until one time Brother Hagin was in the room with him. And all of a sudden he came out of the coma and he looked at, at, uh, at Brother Hagin. He said, Kenneth, he said, I'm dying. He says, yes, you are. But you're ready. Just lay back and let her go. <laughs> and he laid back, died, and went on to be with God. But he was in better shape. Now, that wasn't God's best. God's best was that he just keep on going and getting himself better. But he had not a real good track record of making things better. And some people are that way. And you just need to let them go and, and uh, go and be with God. That sometimes is just a better, better way to do it. Well... This probably would have been better for Joash if he died sooner. But once Jehoiada was gone, then he kind of went in a, in a bad way. This is the power of good company. You've got to be around good people. The best person in the world can be corrupted if they're not around good people. And you can try and find examples, and there are a handful of examples in the Word of God that will um, prove that wrong, but not many. So if you can live up to the testimony of Moses, go on that life, 
who really did not have many. He had a couple. He had, uh, you know, Joshua's and he had a, uh, a few other guys that are around there. Caleb and probably some other ones that we don't even know about. They, they helped him out. You don't need a whole lot. Some, you know, the, the more independent you are with God, the, the better you can get along with, with just a few. But have the few. Have some of those that are there. And uh, Joash really just had Jehoiada. And then he went on to be with the Lord. I don't have this in your outline. I have it in mine. But I've given you this sometimes in the, in the past. There are those people who are great influencers of others. And those who are greatly influenced by others. There are those people who are great influences of others. And those who are greatly influenced by others. The goal is to be the first group. Be one who influences others. Not one who is greatly influenced. Verse 17. Now after the death of Jehoiada, the leaders of Judah came and bowed down to the king. And the king listened to them. And, of course, they had him go in in the wrong direction. Here's the key thing here with this. After the death of Jehoiada, the leaders of Judah came and bowed down to the king, and the king listened to them. They had a contrary way to go. So here's where the problem of the country was. Under Jehoiada, Jehoiada had it in with the king, and the two of them could not be touched by the leaders of, of Judah. But as soon as Jehoiada was gone, they began to come into that spot to take that place. Here's the problem. They had leaders who were not God-fearing. And they were able to turn him around. Put this in your outline. There are people around you, probably right now, who are seeking for an opportunity to come to you and get you to turn from your way. There are people that are looking to turn you away into a wrong direction. And we need to be careful. Do not trust that the motives of the people around you are always good. Especially when they try and take you into a wrong direction. It's, uh, I think the first time I saw this, I probably share this story. I don't share this story too often, but it, I think at least sometime in the past I probably have shared this story with you. When I first started working over Ken's Pizza, I told you this place introduced me to things I didn't even know existed. I lived a very sheltered life and was proud, very glad, very glad that I was in the sheltered life. And here, this, these folks were just immoral, uh, unabashed about it, and I just wanted to go around with earplugs. And said, you guys just don't talk to me. I don't want to hear about this sort of stuff. Why in the world am I in this place listening to these folks? But I got to see a, an opportunity for them. There was this one guy who uh, worked there, and I, I believe he claimed to be a Christian, he did some things that I didn't consider to be Christian, but he claimed to be a Christian, and he also claimed to, uh, to, to be a virgin. And some of the people around the restaurant didn't like him and didn't like him going around saying that. And so I, I saw this happen. Now, this is I had no relationship with this guy at all. He didn't, he didn't know me, like me, or much of anything. I was kind of new in the place. And I saw these two waitresses conspire together. That at the party that night, one of them was going to seduce him and take that away from him. For, they didn't even like him. Just wanted to conspire and cause harm. I don't know whatever happened with it. I didn't pursue it. I didn't want to know. <laughs> Eventually, I got to a place where I had a lot more influence in, in the spot. And I was able to deal with some of the things that came up. If I heard stuff like that, you know, I was on it. 
<laughs> you don't you don't talk like that around here. I basically took ownership of the place, and uh, they didn't. Uh, we we changed that a lot. But I also had established with them a, a rapport, and they didn't dislike me. Now, most of the time, they they liked me, so it wasn't too hard to hard to do that. But it's amazing how many people do this. How many people are out there just trying to conspire and pull people down, just to pull them down. No other purpose, no other reason. They want to turn you from your way. It said the king listened to them. Now, in order for the king to listen to them, he, that means he had to stop listening to something else. Think of it this way. Have you ever been in a room and someone is talking to you and you are listening to them? And then someone comes else, somebody else comes up and wants to talk to you and is saying something? And you had to decide which one am I going to listen to? Or have you been involved in a conversation and you can't necessarily exit that conversation, but all of a sudden you hear a conversation over here and you're more interested in this conversation. So I'm looking at this person, but listening to this person. But I'm not hearing what's going on in this. I'm looking, but I'm not hearing. I'm hearing what's going on over here. In order for you to stop listening this way and start listening this way, there had to be a stop. Because you tune in one area or the other. You, gotta, you, got, you, got, you can't listen to it all. So the king listened to them, but that meant he stopped listening to something else and ceased to continue in what he heard from Jehoiada. He had to stop continuing in what he knew Jehoiada had said to do to continue or to pick up what somebody else had said to do. Proverbs 4, verse 20, you all know this well. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. If you happen to be, as I am, a proud owner of some of David Ingalls' CDs, <laughs> he put this verse on one of his albums and recited it before one of the songs. On every, and every time I listen to that album, I never, I never skip past this. Yeah, yeah, say, read that again. I love to listen to him read it, for one. But uh, over and over, I got to hear that, and that just got etched into my, into my brain. And it was a good thing to have etched in there. Second Chronicles 24, verse 18. Therefore, they left the house of the Lord God of their fathers and served wooden images and idols. And wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem because of their trespass. Now, here's what you need to see about this passage of Scripture. <clears throat> Under David, they followed God. Under Solomon, for a long time, they followed God. But then idolatrous worship started to get mixed in. Some of the kings brought that back. Jehoshaphat brought it back to the worship of God. Asa, he brought it back to the worship of God. We had these different ones who, who did that. But not too long ago, we had Jehoshaphat on the throne here. He brought it back to this, this type of worship. And then we had that stuff with Athaliah and the other sons and and things that were going on, and they had gone away from it. But before then, all, all the days of Jehoiada, they were following after God. Less years following after this idolatrous worship that Athaliah had brought in, the Baals and, and all the things that they, they had done. So Joash then begins to establish it back into the area of God. And as soon as he goes away, they go right back, not to what is in their long-standing history, but what is in their short-standing history. you got to wonder, why is that? Why do they go after something like idolatrous worship that they hadn't picked up before? And wrath came upon them. It just seems 
that the, the, the darker things that we follow take root a whole lot easier than the good things. Bad habits are easy to start and hard to get rid of. Good habits are hard to start and easy to quit. Right? Exercise. Hard to start. Easy to quit. Junk food. Easy to start. Hard to quit. Yep. That seems to be what it is. And that's what we're facing here. Yet he sent prophets to them to bring them back to the Lord. And they testified against them, but they would not listen. Prophets, plural. There was more than one. He sent a number of prophets to bring them back. We have the story of one. Then the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah. Then the Spirit of God. Now, to me, that says he sent prophets, plural, and they didn't listen. Then the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada the priest. That would make Zechariah a priest who stood above the people and said to them, Thus says God, Why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, He also has forsaken you. That's a pretty short word. There may have been more to it. This is the part that made it in the Bible. They didn't like it. So they conspired against Him and at the command of the king they stoned Him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. Thus Joash the king did not remember the kindness which Jehoiada his father had done to him, but killed his son. And as he died, he said, The Lord, look on it and repay. That's the son who said that. He, um, he didn't say, like Stephen, don't hold this against him. No, <laughs> he didn't say that. He said, The Lord, look on this and pay it back. Basically, he's saying this, Get him, God. Get him. I'm mad with him. Go get him. Take care of that. But can you imagine going this far away? Not only not following God, but taking the person who mentored you, who saved you, preserved you, put you in as king, and you go and kill his son. That's how far away we can get. It, um, you don't get there by accident. You get there because you... You did some things. So for this, at the command of the king, they stoned him. So it happened in the spring of the year that the army of Syria came up against him. This is why the Syrian army came up. Because of these things. They were refusing to hear the the prophets. They had gone in a different direction and even went and killed the son of Jehoiada. So now the army of the Syria came up against him and they came to Judah and Jerusalem and destroyed all the leaders of the people from among the people and sent all their spoil to the king of Damascus. Who was responsible for turning Joash's heart? The leaders of Judah. They're the ones who came to him. They're the ones who... who And who's the ones that these Syrians came up and killed? The leaders of Jerusalem. And they sent all the spoil to the king of Damascus. For the army of the Syrians came with a small company of men. But the Lord delivered a very great army into their hand because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. So they executed judgment against Joash. Now, normally we're used to Israel having a small army, Judah having a small army, and going up against a big army, and God delivered them. Now we got the opposite. They got the big army. The little army comes up against them, and they can't stand. And they fall. 
because it comes from God. Can you imagine being Syria? They're the aggressor. All the time we saw Israel with this, the smaller army, they were being attacked. And God defended them. And, but this time, the aggressor is the small army. Can you imagine having a small little band of army? And let's go take on those guys. And they did it. God put it on their, their heart to do. Gave them the boldness to do it. And they went out and did it. And when they had withdrawn from him, for they left him severely wounded... His own servants conspired against him because of the blood of the son of Jehoiada, the priest, and killed him on his bed. So he died, and they buried him in the city of David, but they did not bury him in the tombs of the king. So there were people on staff who were not happy with what he did with Jehoiada, and they had been on staff all those years. When they saw an opportunity, they took it. These are the ones who conspired against him. Zabad, the son of Shemiah, the Ammonites, Jehazabed, we've heard his name before, the son of Shimrith, the Moabites. Now, concerning his sons and the many oracles about him and the repairing of the house of God, indeed, they are written in the annals of the book of the kings, which is the one we came back from. Then Amaziah, then Amaziah, his son, reigned in his place. And we'll talk about Amaziah another time. But if you saw the Facebook post in there, we were talking about the sins of a nation. National sins. Sins that people follow and the government and powers. This is what we're talking about, national sins. We're not talking about curses or anything like that. We're talking about a national sin, a sin that a nation seems to keep falling into and that the nation or the government empowers. In our day and age, we're looking at abortion. Abortion is a national sin. People all over the country participate and the government not only opens a door, the government is now funding these things. How many times have we been promised, well, this program will not fund abortion, and we find out months later, it is funding abortions. And so people who are offended at abortions are forced to pay for them in the day of no offense. That is going on. Idolatry, how many different things we put up to worship <clears throat> beside God. Envy and covetousness. The government itself has put us put one against another. Uh, well, these people make more money than you and these things shouldn't be going on and these folks are against you and the rich and the poor and the, uh, all the different things. They're trying to get groups against each other. Envy and covetousness. This is the sin that the nation seems to fall into and that the government empowers. False worship. How much are we worshiping the creation? How much are we worshiping man? How much are we worshiping nature? And the government sponsors it. The government sponsors humanism. The idea that we are God. The government sponsors, let's protect the little egg. I mean, I've seen that on Facebook. You kill this, you, you do something to this egg, you're destroyed, you're fined, you can be in prison, but you destroy a, a fetus, a human, uh, it's no big deal. In fact, we even pay for it. <laughs> These are, this is false worship. Romans talks about how the people leave worshiping the Creator and worship the creation. And there's far more done in this country to preserve whales and dolphins and germs and little fishes, and trees, and plants, and owls, and birds, and you name it. And very little to preserve the Word of God, or what God considers to be valuable. There is an embedded influence that keeps it there. And the same way we saw this with Jehoiada, the embedded influence was the leaders of Judah, who survived all that other time, and as soon as they saw an opportunity... They took it. We've seen this in other times in Israel's history 
where leaders, as soon as they saw an opportunity, came to the king and persuaded the king to go in a different direction. This is an embedded influence. And we've seen it in our government. We've seen it in our, our country. These things have been going on. There are people that are appointed by the president, by governors, by state. Uh, they, they fill all kinds of things. Uh, the State Department has most, most of the people in there are appointed. You don't vote them in. And yet they control more stuff and they do things without legislation. You have uh, attorney generals. Generally, when a president comes up into, into place, uh, they fire all the attorney generals and they put in people that they want. Now, that happened up until Bush. Bush was one of the first presidents who came who didn't fire all the attorney generals. He fired seven. And how much of a stink was made because he fired seven attorney generals? All of which were appointed by Clinton who had preceded him. I looked all over the internet to find out how many President Obama fired. There's not a thing written that I could find on how many he fired. It's typical for a president who comes in to fire them all. And put his own people in. That's very typical. But I'm, uh, it suddenly became an illegal act under President Bush to, to do that. Even though he only did seven. And nowhere near all the ones that were, were appointed. What I did find, and I've heard this uh, story before, is that President Obama fired or dismissed 197 military commanders. Including nine generals in five years. We're now up to seven years. I don't have the current count. Nine generals, 197 military leaders were dismissed by this president. No president that I found came even close to that. EPA appointees, the EPA is now writing more legislation than it ever has before. And it is passing things that should come through Congress that's going to increase people's cost of electricity, that it once again is doing the worship of the Creator, these are things that are, are going on in this. I have heard how much of an op- opposition the State Department was to different presidents and the things that they wanted to do and couldn't do it because of the State Department and the, the places that they were, were doing. These are embedded leaders, embedded influence. Homeland Security. President Bush started that. We didn't have one of those before then. Starting, now we've got a whole other area of influence that is these are non-elected people. They are appointed people. These are the kind of things that are going on. And um, there was an article that was written of the new, by the, about the new attorney general. Um, oh, I forgot her name. Uh, the, president, the president appointed. Anybody remember what her name is? Uh, replaced. Oh, can't think of her name now. I had the article. It's, it's on my computer. I, I, I reread it just to make sure I, I had the details on it right. And I, now I forget her name. But she was going over. She has not been in there all that long. She was going over how the uh, President Obama administration is putting things in place in the Justice Department. This is, these are her words that will make it almost impossible for any future president to take away his influence on the Attorney General's office. That's her words. Describe it. If you are interested in that, I have the article, the interview with her, and the things that she said uh, about it. Why? Because we have all these things that have been created. They were not the part of the, the founding of this country. The EPA was not part of the founding of this country. Homeland Security was not part of the founding of this country. All these things, they're not part of the founding of this country. We put them in place. And now we've got all this stuff going in, people that we don't elect, and they're keeping the country going in the wrong direction.
The things with Israel that they faced was uh, the, Judah and Israel, when they were combined, always faced the problem of the high places. You remember that? But the people still continually worshipped at the high places. And that was tolerated all up until the time that Jerusalem was, was built and the temple and so forth. Then everybody was supposed to come down there. And then they still went to the high places. Even under Solomon's reign, they still went to the high place. It was a thorn to them. They were not supposed to go there. They were supposed to go to Jerusalem. They were still worshiping God. They were just doing it in the wrong place, doing the sacrifices in the wrong place, but it was more convenient. And it seems like we always kept hearing, this king did great, he was wonderful, except that the people still continued to worship at the high places. We saw that. That's one of the thorns in the flesh that was there. The next one that would come up is the sins of Jeroboam. We saw that with the north, but now we also see it, we're going to see it pop up more in the southern area. Because when Athaliah came to power, she brought in some of that worship. And so some of the worship that had gone before that was a problem for the northern now becomes a problem for the south. And they can't seem to get rid of that idolatrous worship. Even when they have a good king who comes in, they still are falling back. That's kind of stuff that's still going on. And you still have these leaders of Judah that are following after the wrong things. We've had people that we've elected who said, we're going to stop this. We're going to not let this go on. This is going to stop. And we, oh, we're all excited. Yes, stop this. Yeah, put a stop to this. We're not going to see that anymore. What happens? It doesn't stop. Because the powers that are in place make it very difficult to steer things in another direction. Especially when the press is very much in there and they will simply publicize like they did with George Bush firing seven attorney generals, which was the lowest number of any president who came in, made it sound like it was unheard of. And most people don't do research. They just, oh, I can't believe he did that. Oh, that was so wrong. But that's the, that's the kind of folks that we, uh, we have in our country. They're lazy. They don't want to go and look up stuff and read stuff and find out what's actually happening. The problem with embedded sins is the embedded leaders who keep promoting it. And they keep steering the country in that direction. The news media keeps steering the country in that direction. They keep pushing this. And so this is what we're fading. This is what we're up against. The history of it in the book of Kings, in the book of Chronicles, is Israel never overcame it. Never. Even when they had the best king, they still had that as a problem. Those still those embedded sins would come up. A king could come and wipe out idolatry for a little while, and something else would go on. And as soon as that king was gone, what happened to that idolatry? came right back in. Because it always was there. It had never been completely eradicated. Which is why God said, when you go into the land of Canaan, do what with the inhabitants? Wipe them out. Wipe them out. Whoever gets to be our next president, I hope, one of the things I hear, because I'll get excited. I'll, no matter what the press says, I'll get excited. If I hear that whoever comes in as president completely wipes out the EPA, <laughs> fires everybody, I will get excited. If they take all the attorney generals and fire every single one of them, no matter who appointed them, fire every single one of them, I will be ecstatic. If they go into Homeland Security and either dissolve it completely or remove all the people that are there, I'll be ecstatic. You have to have a president who will come in and will wipe out Every single one. A case where this actually happened on a smaller scale 
was, if you can think of your history, those who remember President Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan faced something in his administration in that uh, the people who were in the airports who worked the screens, air traffic controllers, they decided we're going to become like everyone else and we're going to go on strike. And the president warned them, if you go on strike, you will be fired because it is illegal for you to strike. And they basically said, you can't do it. You can't fire all of us. And so they went on strike and he fired every last one of them. He put uh, military people in their spot to take over for a little while until they hired new ones, fired every last one of them. As far as I know, not a single one of them ever was brought back in. Because he basically said, this will not happen. Now, since then, have they ever tried to do it again? No. They have not had presidents as strong as Ronald Reagan. But still, that one time, you eradicated it all. (laughs) Wiped it all out. (laughs) And we don't have that problem anymore. Uh, Who was it? Um, I think um, uh, Herman Cain, when he was running... Uh, for present, less I, I love some of his ideas. One of his ideas that he came up with, and I thought this is outstanding. This man is a thinker. I love the way this man thought. He just oh, so disappointed he he didn't continue on. But he had a way to fix the EPA. Anybody remember what he said? He was going to how, this is how he's going to fix the EPA. He was going to take someone whose business was ruined by the EPA. And put them in charge of the EPA. I thought, oh man, that's going to do something. You are not put somebody in place who's going to keep everything status quo. You are put somebody in place who is ready to rip it apart. And take it down to where it's supposed to be. I thought, that is just sheer genius. I never thought of anything like that. I thought, that is sheer genius. I loved his ideas. Oh man, I loved his ideas. He was a, he was, he was a thinker. It's, I just sometimes I just hear his. I just, all right, I gotta think about that for a little while. But that one, I I knew right off the bat. I love that idea. <laughs> but that's what you have to do. We have to have the guts for this to go on. That whoever we get as the next president, will they go in, and will they not just pick and choose? All right, we're gonna pull this one out and this one out. No, you gotta completely gut it. If you're gonna fix it, you gotta gut it. It's the only way to do it. Because there's too much corruption that has worked its way on in. Do we as a country have the stomach for that going on? If we do, we can take care of embedded national sins. If we don't, they will continue to go on. I've heard many people just in the area of abortion. They say, well, we need a president who doesn't believe in abortion and they need to make it illegal. In order for that to happen, a president has to do what a president cannot do. I don't, I don't um, vote for presidents based on their view on abortion. I don't do it. I won't become a one-issue thing. I don't care as much if they are for or against it. I, want to, I care more about what they view in the Constitution. Because if they believe in the Constitution, the president can do nothing about abortion. Can, it is a state issue. It should never have been decided by the Supreme Court, and it cannot be a law of the land. By the Constitution. So anyone who comes up and says we're going to make a law that abortion is illegal does not know the Constitution. Because it's very clear by the founding of this, uh, founders of this country. The powers of the federal government are few and well defined. The powers of the state 
are many. And I forget the terminology on this. Um, and undefined or, or, or some, <coughs> something. But it, they're open. It varies. Is that how it is? It varied. Okay. That's, uh, that sounds about, about right. But that's, how, that's what their idea was because they were under a very strong central government and they knew the abuse it would do. And now we're seeing the abuse of a very strong central government and a weak state government. And we need to go back to the, to the way this country was founded. Until we are able to do that, the embedded sins will not go away. They will continue to go on. Because of, cause God knows how you, how you wipe it out. How do you get rid of embedded sins? Clean, clean shop. Everybody gone. That's how you do it. Now, we cannot say, well, God, we want a clean shop, but we don't want everybody to be removed. We want to keep everybody in the spot. That's helping to help us clean it up. And God says, I told you how to do it. How you do it is you clean shop. Clean it out. And we have to be willing to, to do that. That's why I've uh, often said you need to get somebody in president. You need to get somebody in governors. You need to get somebody who's not been in politics. Because you've got to have somebody who has a different view. Not a view of doing everything the way that it has been done. And that's where we're at as a country. Are we going to get rid of the national sins? That's where we'll, we'll stand. Why some of these things just continue? Why it continued with Israel? Because the only way that you can get rid of it is you wipe out everybody in charge and put new people in. What was our founding... I forget which founding father it was. Thomas Jefferson, Madison, one of those guys came up with the idea. He says, I think that a country needs to have a revolution about every 100 years. Is that what it, that what it was? Because they, they knew that whatever you set up would become corrupted. And that's what certainly what has happened. And we see it right here with, with Israel. They have become corrupted. And as soon as new sins come in, it seems like you can't get them out. They're like bamboo. You ever try to get bamboo out of a place? Bamboo is intrusive. It is aggressive. It, uh, it doesn't go away. You pull out all the bamboo you want. You come back there a week or two later, you see more bamboo coming up. And you pull all that stuff out, and you'll see more bamboo coming up. You just can't get rid of the stuff. It is just It just thrives. Be careful if you're planting bamboo. Make sure you like it, because it's going to be around for a while. It's, uh, people, people like what it does, but it, it doesn't go anywhere. It, it stays right there. Embedded national sins. We've got plenty. I just listed a couple. You can probably put some thought to it and find out a whole lot more that we're doing. How do you get, how do you get rid of it? Got to wipe out the things that are in charge. Got to wipe out the people. Because the people who rule the country have learned we can get money, we can get power by doing things this way. You got to put other people in there who are, con- who are convinced doing things the right way and don't care about the money and don't care about the power. You get those folks in charge. You can get rid of some embedded sins. You can go back to the way that things were, the way that God founded our country to be. But until then, until we're will- willing to stomach all that, and we're not going to see it. Well, Father, we thank you for this country that we've been born into. We thank you for the blessings that you have poured on it. We thank you for the good things that are here, that are part of this country. We also see the bad that has crept its way in and has taken over much of our society to where even the mentions of Christianity and Jesus and just being pushed aside. Our culture is being changed. 
Father, I thank you that you give us wisdom. The people that put in charge. The people that you have picked. And then to support them in prayer. Because we know that there are forces that are against them. That will try and get them to sway. And we need people who won't be swayed. Thank you, Father. For the help that you give us in this. In Jesus' name. Amen.